book of Romans. And we've been walking through this chapter by chapter by chapter. Each week we learn a little bit more. We gain a better understanding of how God desires us to live life. Now we started off with Paul clarifying to us the cosmic reality about laws that exist that affect us personally. We dealt with issues like sin and death and life and understanding. We use terms like justification, redemption, reconciliation. We spoke to the areas about cheap grace, what, what grace was and what it wasn't. We talked about legalism. We discussed this issue in our life that we've all discovered that we have two natures. You notice that? You have two natures in your life. One's a sin nature. And you have a natural inclination towards sin. And then you have a spiritual nature. And that's the nature that moves towards God's direction to the spirit that he has placed within you. And the desire to do good and to do the right thing. And then the scriptures told us that we need to learn how to be transformed by the spirit of God. Not conformed by the direction and the guidance of the world that we live in here. So all these different things that began to comprehend. And then Paul flips it around and he talks about the fact that we are now God's children. That we are sons and we're daughters who can experience a relationship with God that is, well, the only way I can put it, family. It's family. It's a relationship that is so incredibly intimate that it transcends everything else in our life. And we find ourselves called sons and daughters of God. And that as God works in our lives, that that relationship brings about direction and guidance so we begin to understand our purpose and the destiny that God has set up for each one of us. You see, my comment is always that, you know, everybody's got a plan for your life. Isn't that true? My mom had one for me. My dad had one for me. My friends had one for me. Everyone has a plan for your life. Well, God has a plan and an intention, a purpose that he wants you to carry out. And it's the one that you desire as well. And he wants us to know what that purpose is. So we walked through in that area about 12 chapters doing that. And then last week we talked about the issue of submission and authority. How that relates to our lives, how we relate to God, and how we relate one to another. Now, when we talk about that area, Jesus bottom lined it like this. He said that when we live our lives, we need to learn how to live our lives under the foundation of his words. We need to live reflecting what he calls this is right and this is wrong. This is grace. This is truth. All these things he lays out and he says, if you live your life on the foundation of my words, then you'll have a life that's like a house that's built on a rock. And when the floods come and they will come, when the rains pour down and they will pour down, you'll find that your house stands firm, that your family and your foundation stands firm, that you're not broken apart, but you're able to stay Together, But if you don't build your life on the foundation of his words, on the truth that he gives us, then it'll be like building your house on sand. 
kind of a Balboa Island kind of thing. Eh? Which sounds good for now until the floods come. And when they come, it says they'll overwhelm you in the sand and you'll be like Katrina, which happened 10 years ago, by the way. Ten years ago, Katrina hit us, that huge hurricane that almost destroyed New Orleans. And when the flood comes, it'll wipe you out in everything you own. Jesus said we must learn to build on the foundation of his truth. Let's watch this little clip that reminds us of that truth. So we see that the question in life is, what are we building our foundation on? And Paul, in this particular chapter 13 of Romans speaks to that issue and today we're going to look at verses 7 verses 7 through 12 I think it is verses 7 chapter 13 verses 7 through actually we're going to go all the way down through 14 are you ready here we go Romans 13 we're going to start with verse 7 give to everyone what you owe them If you owe taxes, then pay your taxes. If revenue, then pay your revenue. If respect, then pay respect. If honor, then give honor. Let no debt, no debt remain outstanding except for one. The continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, You shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one simple commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love never does harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over. The day, it's almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't think about how you might gratify the decisions of the flesh. Father, speak to us from your truth. We can only understand it if your Spirit gives us understanding. So we would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would grant us that. Illuminate this truth. Help us to grasp it and to yield to it. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. Today, we want to talk about learning to live debt-free. No debts except Love. No debts except love. We need to learn how to live debt-free in an economy that promotes debt. It promotes debt. How can we be debt-free? I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, be debt-free. Come on, be debt-free. Be debt-free. That should be your chant. Can you hear that going, be debt-free. Be debt-free. You know, that's like, yes. How many of you would like to be debt-free? Yeah. We want to be in that position where we're no longer in debt in any way or any manner. So he says, give to everyone what you owe them. 
taxes, revenue, respect, or honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. This first area is about making a living. No debts except love. We're debt-free except for love. And he's speaking to the issue about making a living in relationship to economic issues. Being a light to this world so that when others look at your life, they're able to say, I want to emulate that. I want to follow that direction that you've shown me as a follower of Christ in the area of economics, in the area of finances. We're to be a light to this world, not a burden. We're to be free from debt. We're to be generous. We're to be lightening up everybody's life around us, not burdening them down and weighing them down with our inability to be responsible and to provide as God has given us the ability to provide. Now, someone asked me, well, what exactly is debt? Debt is simply personal obligation or responsibility. Someone has said there's only two people in this world. There's people who lend and people who what? Borrow. Yeah. People who lend and people who borrow. Which one do you want to be? You know, which one do you want to be? Someone said, I want to borrow. I said, man, no, I want to lend. I want to lend. I want you to be borrowing from me. Here's a little quiz. Everybody ready? Here's a quiz. See if you can give me the answer to this simple quiz. I'm quoting somebody. The budget should be balanced. The treasury should be refilled. Public debt should be reduced. The arrogance of the official dumb should be tempered and controlled. And the assistance to foreign land should be curtailed. Lest, fill in the blank, what you want, becomes bankrupt. Who wrote that? Anybody make a wild guess? That would be a good one, George Washington. That's a good thought. Actually, it was a man by the name of Cicero in 55 B.C. in Rome. In Rome. Things haven't changed as much as you thought. The same cry goes on over and over again. It's about debt and those who owe debt. Recently, we dealt with Greece, if you're following the news. And Greece said, we're not going to pay our debt. And then they decided, oops, I guess maybe we should pay our debt after all, when some other people began to talk to them. And they found themselves in a position, precarious one, that's still rather precarious in relationship to what they owe and how they should respond to that debt. The chaos is taking place and continue to take place in Greece is a direct result of debt that was not paid. Recently, China was misrepresenting their true debt in relationship to how the dollar works and the yen and other things. And so they went about with a correcting of the economy by losing instantly over 8% of their perceived economic wealth. Over 8% in one day. In one day. The markets responded to that. Well, the Dow Jones dropped 588 points for that day. Actually, started, they dropped 1,000 points. And then it was recorrected to 588 points, or about 3.5% of the United States' entire 
economy. 3.5%. you got to understand, it's a drop in value of what someone thinks they have and what they do have. You talked to Luke Canfield, the, the response he was talking to him the other day, he said, China, ah! It's about what they owe, what we owe, how that affects us, how we respond to that. All these things are interrelated. Debt, ratio, and relationship to what you actually have. We are not to be debtors. We live in an economy right now that is literally built on what? Debt. Yeah, it's built on debt. It's saying you've got to buy more things. People, get out there and buy. Get out there and buy or we're in trouble. Because the economy that you live in in the U.S. is built on debt. We promote debt. We depend on it to survive. But the Bible teaches us that if you want to live correctly, you need to live debt what? Free. Exactly. Be debt free. You see, our country does not have financial problems. Our country has spending problems. It has discipline problems. We are the most prosperous nation in the world and we have abused that prosperity. But just like individuals, before you pick on them too much, just like individuals, nations rarely stop and reflect and realize they have to change until things get very, very tight financially. Same for you, same for me. So Paul says... I want to talk about four areas of financial debt that we are to be free from, that we are to be lights to our world. And the first one is one that we all love. It's called taxes. Better word for this is actually assessments. Assessments is a better word than taxes in this case. And it's speaking to a dual issue. It's speaking not just assessments to the government. It's also speaking about assessments to the church or to the temple. An assessment is something that you owe somebody because of what they've provided for you and you respond appropriately, usually on a percentage basis. So our tax structure is set up where if you only make $500 this year, you got no taxes, except for sales tax. And, you know. But you're not going to have to pay anything because you didn't make enough money. But if you made $5 million this year, you were a football player who got this huge bonus. You're paying 50% of that to the government. 2500000 goes to them. Because it's built on a percentage basis. Now, before you start saying that, poor guys, he's still got 2500000 to live on this year. How many of you would be willing to do that? Yeah, exactly. So, this is a percentage thing when we talk about assessments. It's to be recognized as a proportion that's been provided for you and you're responsible to give back. I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger, who they found out was paying a huge amount of dollars in taxes. And they came to him and said, dude, this is really weird. You're paying all this money in taxes. How do you feel about that? He said, I feel great about that. I feel great. This country has done so much for me. I'm happy to give a small amount back. Despite the fact that his taxes were over $3 million that year. No problem. I'm happy to give it. He sought in proportion to the assessments that he owed for what he had been provided with. 
whether it's to government or to God, as God provides for us or a government provides for us, we respond appropriately to them. Jesus said, you're to give to Caesar what is what? Caesar's. Yeah. And give to God what is God's. You see, he was dealing with the issue of assessments. What's appropriate for us in accordance with God is provided for us. We respond appropriately with assessments. That's why Malachi says, why are you stealing from God in relationship to not giving your assessment that God has set before you? Why would you steal the portion that God has called you to respond to him with? Paul says, keep a good conscience. Give cheerfully in the same way that you have been given. In the same way that you've been given. So that's assessments. That's the first thing. In relation to assessments, be debt free. Figure out what that is. Pay your taxes. Pay what you owe to God. Be debt free. Have a great conscience. Feel good about what's been done in your life. The second area was the area of revenue. And this is talking about wages. The word is telos. It actually means wages. You owe me this because I've done this for you. There's a quote in Isaiah. Who have you defrauded and not paid what was due them? God is angry about this. He's saying, you pay people what you owe them. Be debt free. This debt is what you owe somebody else because they have worked for you. Now, the difficulty in this oftentimes, we have to put ourselves in a position personally where we have to have what's called, I'm going to use the B word, budget. Budget. Okay? Turn the person next to you and say, you need a budget. (laughs) Some of you ladies used an elbow when you gave them that. I saw that. You need a budget. It's like the bad B word. You kids, you need a budget. Teach them how to budget. My grandchildren are already learning about budgets. Literally, they've learned about budgets and what costs are and how this whole thing works out. We need to learn early the necessity of a budget. Now, what does a budget mean? Well, it tells a few things. One, it means you can't have everything you want. Okay? A budget, the first thing says, you can't have everything you want. <laughs> Two, you can't even have everything you could afford. What? What do you mean? No, 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 no. It means you can't have everything that you could afford. You literally have to go backwards many times. And when you go backwards in your lifestyle, your finances, it is painful. It's like pulling a scab off. It's like, ah, I hate this. Our ego gets a little depressed. We're driving a 91 Toyota Corolla instead of a nice new BMW that we could afford, but it's not in our budget. And our budget's been set up appropriately in terms of what we should and shouldn't spend. So that's the second part of a budget. You can't have everything you can afford. What's another one? Maybe this, maybe this is the more, more obvious one along that end. And that is, um, you have to live on a budget. You have to live on the budget. That's, that seems obvious. I'm on a, I have to live on a... It sounds obvious to you, but 
I have couples I do premarital with, and one of the first things I try to teach them to do is I say, I want you to do what's called an envelope budget. How many of you know what an envelope budget is? Hey, good. See, my wife and I, when we first got married, we would put ourselves on an envelope budget. And what we do is we'd have a, take an envelope off, and on the envelope it had the amount of money that was supposed to go in it and what it was for. So it would have groceries, $250, and that was for the month. And I get my paycheck, and I get it all in cash, and I put $250 in that envelope. And that was for the month. We had $250 for groceries. Another one said gas, okay, auto. And it said $150, and I put $150. You get, begin to get the idea? Okay, you getting it? So each envelope carried the amount of cash that was necessary according to our budget for us to live on. Here's the problem. Inevitably, on the 20th of the month, the grocery money was what? God. Now, do you expect me? Do you expect me to starve for the next 10 days? Yeah, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. I go, well, it would be okay. I could live for 10 days without 20 days, maybe 30 days, maybe two months. I don't, you know, I have a little excess there to live on. Do I really need things other than water? And bread? You see, there's a struggle. We have to decide. You're going to live on your budget or you're not going to live on your budget. So then we pull a little fast one. It's like, okay, no, okay. Well, we've got $80 for gas and we've only used 55 of it. And I think I can squeeze by with the other amount if we just put that into groceries. Is that okay? Actually, it is okay. As long as that's discretionary gas expense. It's not okay if that amount is for maintenance and future things. So in each area, you have to look at that. Because sometimes I don't need to spend $40 this month in clothing. I can get by with a hole in my underwear. It's okay. As long as I can have a steak. (laughs) So you're getting the picture in relationship to budget. The fourth thing about a budget is simple, and this is kind of a duh. When your money runs out, you have to quit spending. When you're looking at all the envelopes, there's nothing in any of them, it's done. It's not time to go back to the bank. It's time to wait and pray and fast and let your budget do the work that it needs to do. Now, today we're not dealing with finances, so I just kind of threw that out. If you want to know more about finances, you can go online. We have a series of messages that are called Keep the Change. Okay? You can get that called Keep the Change. It's got a whole series of messages that will help you immensely in relationship to your finances. Other than that, you can probably go over to Terry Moran. He'd be glad to help you with your finances. Okay? Go over here to Chris. He'd be glad to help you with your finances. There's, there's people in the church that will say, hey, I'd be happy to sit down with you and help you get a handle on your budget, how you can use your funds, how you can do these things. There are all kinds of people in the church willing to help and give you directions in any of those given areas. All right? Now, kids, here's the ones for the young ones. This is what I'm talking about. You all, you all listening? Okay. This is what I want to do to you in terms of your budget. That's this. Share with others what you have. Share with others what you have. You see, because that is the principle that Paul is trying to teach us. The reason that I go on a budget is not just so I can save money. It's so that I can share with other people who have a need. So that when my kids say, 
Dad, and they're 35 years old, Dad, we need some extra money for this. I can go, not a problem. God has blessed me, and I want to be able to bless you. I want to be generous with you. And because I set up a budget and you're doing the same thing, I want to make sure that you have what you need in this given situation. So these first two areas are in relationship to the economy of finance and our wealth and resulting responsibility. And it deals primarily with the issues of society, the establishment of government itself. But it starts with you. It starts with you. Jesus in the parable of the talents said, God has provided you with wealth so that you can use it to do good, to show respect, to give support, to be generous to others that are around you. Now, these second two areas that he's going to move to next are in relationship to our personal and spiritual economy. We are to recognize and give respect and honor one another. We're to recognize where we are to give respect and where we are to honor one another. It goes from parents to heroes. You see, respect is something that you earn. Turn to the person next to you and say, respect is something you earn. Go ahead. Respect. Got it? You've got to earn respect. All of us want to be respected. Guess what? I will not respect you until you earn it. When you earn it, I will respect you. If you don't, I'll just be quiet. Okay? I'll just be quiet. Respect is earned. Aretha Franklin said, I just want a little bit. Those of you that are older got that. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Okay? Just a little bit of respect. Suck it to me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> scripture reminds us the primary need of men is what? Anybody know? Respect. It is. Primary need for men is respect. The primary need for women is security or love. Yeah, security or love. They want to know they're loved. Men want to know they're respected. Now, we also want to know we're loved. But our number one thing, I want to be respected. My wife would say, I want to be loved. You can respect me afterwards. (laughs) Be careful with that. Okay. Now, in relationship to the government, they may be owed and not respected because they haven't carried out what they're due for. But Jesus reminded us, give to Caesar what is due them. Respect is due to God. So who do you owe respect to? You might think about that. Who do I owe respect to? You need to pay up. You need to, pay, you need to let them know. You need to let other people know. Now we have all this internet stuff. I get things all the time. It goes on for, uh, in relationship to business. I recommend so-and-so because they have shown us that they are very capable in this given area. And what they're doing is what? They're showing me respect. Or you respect. They're saying, I really respect this person in this given area. And you go, wow, that's neat. I appreciate that. Who is God calling you to show respect to? Another area is honor. We show honor, value, or esteem. There was recent honor given to those men who stopped a terrorist attack on a French train and they received the French Medal of Honor. Here's a picture of them up here. They were willing to sacrifice their lives for the lives of others and for that they were due a great honor and they received the French Medal of what? 
honor. It's a medal of honor that they receive there. So we need to give honor to those or do honor. For the kids, young ones, I want to see if you're looking here. You're watching, you're listening. Do you give honor to your parents? Because you need to do that. And one way you give honor to them is that you listen to them when they tell you to do things. At least today. Okay? Listen to them today. Okay, great. Good stuff. So we want to honor our parents. That's actually a commandment. That's how powerful it is that God put it out of ten words that he wanted to share with everybody. One of those words was honor your father and your mother. And by the way, those of us that are a little older that still have fathers and mothers, that doesn't quit when we get older. Honor your father and mother. This is not about earning. This is about honoring. Respect is something you earn. Honor is something that's a given. Okay? As a result of who you are. Father, mother, sometimes heroes. Duality going on there with respect and honor. You need to honor your parents. One way you honor your parents is you make sure even now... Those of you that are grandparents, you sit down and you talk to the kids. As you talk to them about how much you appreciate their parents and how good job they're doing with you. So when my guys come with me, I say, man, your mom and dad are doing such a great job. They go, they are? Oh, yeah, they are. Look at you. You are wonderful young men. and You're wonderful in my case of my girls here over in Minnesota. You're doing such a good job and your parents are wonderful. I hope you tell them that you love them. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That's how we do that. Okay, we're to seek to live in a debt-driven economy without gaining debt. To be debt-free in our finances and in our personal economy. Respect and honor in that case. This means if you see a need for honor or a need for respect, meet that need. You need to use your finances and your words to make a living. To be generous, not cheap. To show light, not darkness. Now, I'm back to the kids here. I want to share with you young ones something. You guys all listening to me? Yeah, you're listening. Yeah, I got you back here. Got got you back in. Got you back in. I was with my son, David, who is a a little bit older than you guys. A little bit. He's an older guy. And we were in the car. And as we got in our car, there was a lady with her child. And she had a sign up said, I need help. I'm unable to work. Could you give some support? And I looked at it. I thought, oh, we really ought to give some support. She's hurting. Show some respect to this person here. And my son says, Dad, roll down the window. You need to give her a couple dollars. And I said, I don't have any. He says, oh, I've got some. He reaches in his wallet. There's nothing in there. And then he reaches in his pant pocket. says, oh, yeah, here we go, $2. And he gives his last $2. He says... You need to give that to her. And I'm going, it's your last two bucks, man. You've only got two dollars. He said, she needs it more than me. Respect. Showing light. Giving to those who have a need. That's the directive of Scripture. Okay? So this first section, this first part deals with financial areas. The economy that's practical and personal. About making a living. And in financial areas, we need to be what? Debt-free. We need to be debt-free. We need to be a light to our world. Our public life and our private life needs to be debt-free. The second part is dealing with moral areas. And this one's much shorter as we prepare ourselves to share in the Lord's Supper. 
In this area, he talks about the moral economy that's both practical and personal. I call this making a life. Making a life. For the commandments say, do not commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. These and the other commandments are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we talk about making a life, moral issues, this is where Jesus says we're to be salt to our world, both publicly and privately. And here Paul mentions four areas of the law. Now, we learned last week the law is always about the minimum standard. Okay, the law is always the minimum standard, while love is always the maximum standard. So the law says, this is the minimum. This is what you can get away with and not get a fine. That's the minimum. The speed limit is 55 or 65 or 40 or whatever it may be. That's a minimum standard. Law says, what do I have to do to escape punishment? Okay? If I go 85, am I going to get a ticket and have to pay for it? Yes. So I don't want to do that. What exactly can I do to escape? How far can I push the limit? So you get that term from. How far can I push the limit? The law is about the minimum requirement. Love says, how can I do the greatest good? How can I do the greatest good? Love is generous to a fault. Love is about we Laws about me. The law is cheap. Not when you break the law. But it is cheap. It's stringent. It's tight. Talk to the judge about it, is what the officer says. Not to me. Talk to the judge about it. I'm just giving you the ticket because you broke the what? The law. Eh? Paul reminds us that there's a sacred and a secular relationship to law, and there are rights and responsibilities. There's a sacred and a secular. There are rights and responsibility. And he picks four of the ten words. Four of the ten words, or what you might call the ten commandments. The first one is adultery. This is the act of betraying your marriage partner by having a relationship with somebody else. By breaking the sacred vows that we make one to another, that God says he declares in the midst of that, mystically, sacredly, that you are now what? One. No longer two. You are now one. And what God has joined together, no man should even try to break apart. That's adultery when it's broken apart. It's crucial personally in our lives and corporately in our society that we stay faithful to our forever partner. Be light to this world, not darkness. My sons tell me over and over again how difficult they see people's lives as they go to their homes and they have multiple families. And it's stepdad and stepmom and and all these struggles and difficulties come into their life as a result of breaking this commandment. You want to think long and hard before you ever Break that commandment. 
The second commandment he refers to is murder. Murder. Understand the sacredness of life. So we have the sacredness of marriage, and then we have the sacredness of life itself. All humans have the presence of God within them. His spirit resides in us, and life is special. We're to recognize that. Recently, we saw some horrendous videos in relationship to Planned Parenthood and how they were literally selling body parts to the highest bidder. And we were shocked. We were shocked by this darkness, this darkness that has taken over when we begin to abuse the law of life. Because it doesn't stop, it just continues getting worse and worse and worse. And that's exactly what will happen when you abuse the law of life, the sacredness of life. Remember, law is cheap, wants the bare minimum. But love says, how can I keep life, not just not bring death? How can I keep and build life privately and publicly? So in marriage, we talk about a variety of ways to try to teach and help people to build a better relationship with their spouse so they can have an incredible partner like I have. I've got this amazing partner. I was praying this morning. I was going, my goodness, Lord. She is so incredible. Wow. I am so fortunate. My daughter's shaking her head. Yeah, you are, Dad. Yeah, and so is she. So is she. What a mom. This is my partner that God has blessed me with. And we have worked our tails off in our marriage to try and ensure that we do not, like all of our relatives, every one of my brothers, every one of my sisters, every one of her sisters, find ourselves in the position of having a divorce. The sacredness of life, the sacredness of marriage. Then he moves on and he talks about this issue of stealing. He says, you should not take something from someone else that is theirs. It leads to a form of adultery. Law is the minimum standard. Love is the maximum standard. Do not steal from those who are around. Do not Murder those whom you find yourself disliking or struggling with. Do not cover what they have. Do not steal from them. You see, we're not to ask what does the law require, but what does love require? It's not about a bill of rights. It's about a bill of responsibilities. Okay, kids, you guys remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Everybody remember the story of the Good Samaritan? I said, yep, yep. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? You didn't? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about that a little later then. So the Good Samaritan is a story about a man who's walking down a road and a group of thieves attack him and they beat him up and they take everything that he owns and they throw him off to the side of the road. Those were not nice people, right? Right, they were not nice people. They were doing wrong. After they threw him to the side of the road, it said a religious guy came by and he walked by him and he said, man, life is tough, isn't it? And he walked on by. And then a Christian came in, because that's who Jesus is really speaking to, that we call a good Samaritan. And that person came in and he saw him hurting and he said, I need to help this guy. And so he picked him up and he took him to the doctor. And the doctor said, who's going to pay his bill? And he said, I'll pay his bill. And he paid his bill and made sure that he got well. 
And he said, may God bless you and ask for nothing in return. Now, that story of the Good Samaritan is a story about responding appropriately to life and to people. You see, it was about three different philosophies of life. The first philosophy was that of the thief. And the thief's philosophy is simple. He said, what is yours is mine, and if I want it, I'm going to take it. That's a philosophy of life. What's yours is mine, and if I want it, I'm going to take it. There was another philosophy of life, the religious person. His philosophy of life is, what is mine is mine. And your struggles are your problem. I told you not to go down that road. I told you not to go down that road. And the last person's philosophy is that of the Christian. And the Christian says, what is mine is yours. And if you need it, you can have it. You're hurting. How can I help? And that's the economy discussion that Paul gives us today. One's about finances. The other's about morality. They're both personal and they're both public. How you live in each one will determine how you make a living and how you make a life. The bottom line is this. In both areas, you must learn to be, are you ready? Debt free. Say it with me. Debt free. Turn to that person next to you and say, be debt free. There you go. See, that's the bottom line. We close ourselves simply with the words of Jesus, reminding us, live your life on the foundation that he has provided. Let's watch that clip one more time. Then Pete's going to come up and lead us uh, in a little time of communion as we share together.